right, Win Daily family, golf enthusiasts, we are back, and we are back for a major, a big tournament, and the last one of the season. Uh, it's a big week. This is the week we are coming for to make the big bucks. So let's get it. We've gone over the a few last few JV tournaments that we had to handicap. Now we got the real thing. Everyone's playing, uh, except for the few people that can't get over the pond and uh, because of restrictions. But we'll we'll get into all that in a minute. But it's an exciting week. Uh, not the British Open, just the Open Championship. They are correcting everyone. Uh, we're at Royal St. George's over in the UK. Um, and it's a links course. So it's a little bit different than, I think, some of the courses we're used to playing over here. But it should be a fun week to handicap. Sia, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man. I, uh, I'm really excited. So it's one of those things where it's it's a little bittersweet because this is the last major for a while. Like we, it felt like we had a major like every month for the last you know year, which clearly was not actually the case. But the cool thing is, and I know I, I don't want to again, I don't want to divert the show like I did last week, right when we started off by talking about my Super Bowl picks and your Super Bowl picks. But the cool thing is, yes, this is the last major, but we have a ton of golf. Obviously, the whole year is filled with golf, with the exception of. You know, maybe some uh, some a couple weeks during the holiday season, but NFL season is right around the corner, and Win Daily does a ton of NFL stuff. So I'm really looking in the sports betting with college and NFL. I am like super excited about that. So I know it's not like I'm going to be turning the page when the Open Championship is done. I'm going to be doing golf with you pretty much every single week, uh, every year. Like that's just how golf works, which is awesome. But we have so many other things to be excited about. So I'm kind of like. I don't know. I'm just I'm just excited, man. This is this is a cool time. On this show, we took we take a page from Bell Belichick and we take no days off. Golf right. gets no day. We are every day, every week, we are hammering golf tournaments. And it's literally no days off, by the way, because I know I'm I'm prepping basically on Saturday or Sunday for for Thursday and you know, just lining things up and, and getting initial reads and, and preparing my initial picks article, which of course is free on windailysports.com. I think it's still free. I'm pretty sure that's the tab I check when I when I publish the article. So I think it's actually always free. It's just kind of a good baseline foundation for all of you that have not read it yet. But anyway, Joel, um, well, I, 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 what are you thinking? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to like. So let me let me get this out of the way real quick. Because um, people, okay, a couple things, Joel. We know that this tournament is in England, right? So lock is going to be like, to, to most people, kind of like in the middle of the night, you know, 12, 1 a.m. I think you, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but tea times are going to be right around 1 a.m. Uh, so that's tomorrow night. So everybody kind of needs to know that. I think sometimes just people forget, you know, because they're like, oh, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll, and I'll check. And you brought up the COVID thing and withdrawals. Like, listen, man, not only I'm, I'm a little fearful that, we might get some withdrawals in the middle of this tournament because they find out some contact tracing issues and they're like, they're pretty like strict over there. But we also might have a couple withdrawals right before lock. So not only are we going to be in tune as a Wind Daily family, like on Discord, for example, Wednesday night, and I'm talking like right before lock, we'll all be up, we'll all be in Discord. Like that's just, we're up then anyway, regardless of when the tournament starts. So um, that's really important. So we're going to give out picks, Joel. We're going to do all of this stuff and some outrights and some first round leaders at the end of the show. But long story short, this is like the tournament where you do have to pay attention right before lock. And it's kind of convenient because you don't have to wake up at five in the morning. You just stay up a little later on Wednesday night and all will be fine. And if you're one of those people like me, who I do this, who reserves lineups before and then enters them later in the week, it would get them in 
tonight. Just get because the last thing you want to do is have something slip your mind and not enter anything, and then you just lose all your money without even having a chance. Just have something in there. You could always update them, but just have something yeah. in there because I've once didn't get my lineups in on time, and I just just lost, just threw it away, just flushing my lineup, and it's a horrible feeling. So at least if you have something out there, you're competing. You know, it's not just a flush down the toilet. Um, and then with that, I do want to touch on. It's kind of convenient that it's not like setting your alarm for six in the morning to check things before like mm-hmm. we'll be up. Um, I think I'm concerned about people with contact tracing, maybe mid tournament. I think I feel good about right before tee off. I that could bite us and I could be wrong, but my reasoning for it is a lot of these guys are traveling a long way and mm-hmm. we'll know if they didn't make the trip, if they've made the trip, they're more than likely going to be able to tee off. No, that's not a guarantee. We've seen like things can come up as, as they get tested when they get there. So we definitely want to stay on it, but um, we can. I feel good about locking guys in as as, as they if we've not heard any news on them by tomorrow. That means they're there and they're probably going to play. Yeah, I agree. Hey, real quick before we get into the meat and potatoes of this show, um, Bobby Dove, uh, who is a is an avid listener, thank you for listening. So he has already clearly hit the like button. So for those of you that are not already watching on YouTube, go to YouTube and hit the like button because that that helps us and. Text your friends. You know, everybody on here, and there's there's quite a few of you on here already. I'm, I'm serious. Text your friend and just send them the link. Be like, hey, dude, or or hey, girl, like whatever. We actually have some subscribers that are females, which is so awesome. And I, I want to, I really, really want to increase that. But anyway, the point is, um, text your buddy. Be like, hey, these guys are pretty cool. You might not even be into golf. Can you do me a favor and hit the like button? I just, I want to run that experiment. I, you probably should have like built up this show a little bit more. Um, before we started, I, I actually want to do that. I want to get like this ripple butterfly effect where we get our friends and our our community to like tell their friends and to watch this show because I got I got to be honest. I think we add value. We had some green screens and some screenshots last week that were so incredible, and and they were truly giving credit to us. They were giving credit to the Better Golf Pod. Um, Andy Lack, uh, a few other guys that were like this particular person. It was actually um, his name is Coach on Twitter. And this is a guy that was entering like a $5, like 150 max, but he was just en- entering a single bullet and just took the thing down like like uh, Sicily Kid did two weeks ago in Showdown when he entered a single bullet and won $20,000. Like these are like really awesome things. And I didn't do that great last week, Joel, in, in uh, DraftKings. I had a, a bunch of awesome guys. I had Lebiota. I had Shank. I was all over those guys. I had Glover in the outright market. But I had other guys. Yeah, I, I won. I won a good amount of money. I would have won way more with Shank with that 151 ticket I had. But uh, 50 to one will do. But but the point is, the point is, what's really cool is that I can do terribly. I can have a bunch of guys that are in the top five, but then you know a couple miscuts, and I'm I'm done at a tournament like last week. Unfortunately, that you know Streelman. There was a couple guys that I liked that just you know just didn't pan out. But and Bo Hossler was another one. But um. When the subscribers do well, or at least when some of them do well, I'm like, and then and then they give us credit, which which I don't necessarily need the credit, but but I need I need to know that like, okay, well, I did poorly. Did I just screw everybody up as well? And it's like, no, okay, thank God. Like, like some of you guys were like taking my good plays and then like pivoting off the plays that didn't work out, and maybe going with other Wind Daily guys or guys outside the Wind Daily community. So I hope everybody that's watching can like see how animated I am. And if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, Apple Podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, go to YouTube and check me out because, or check this show out because I want you to see how important it is to us. And it's not just me and you, Joel. It's Isaiah. It's Stephen. It's Patrick. It's Antonio. It's Jason Mizrahi. We all want you to win more than we want to win. 
I'm telling you, it sounds weird. It sounds contrived. It sounds cliche. I'm telling you it's true. And I'm so excited. I did terribly last week. I'm so excited. I saw those screenshots. Well, I got to push back there. I still want to win myself, but I want to see all you guys win too with me. So I want us to win as a team. Um, but I this. I, it's exciting, right? Like, like we're not me and Sia. We don't win every week. It's impossible to win every week. Mm-hmm. But one of us can win every week. Right? If all of us listens to our show and together, like someone can win every week. And I still get a huge thrill when one of our listeners, when one of the people on here messages us and says, "Hey, listen to the show. Cashed out. Hit a huge GPP. Hit for this much. That's awesome. Like mm-hmm. at least, even though I sucked last week, the fact that you won. All right, it wasn't a, a total loss. Like we got some right, things. right." We got Jesse in here, another avid listener. I'm here for all the Barbersol Championship picks. I'll tell you what, I, I wish I was ready for that, but I, I know you are going to be in our Discord, and I will give you some picks. Last week, there was a guy that had um he had a tournament with his friends for the Scottish Open. And so I did some quick research and I, you know, I, I qualified. I was like, listen, this is just kind of quick superficial research, but these are the guys I like. Well, I went ahead and put in a lineup myself. That was the only lineup that did really well. I got a six for six. I entered a tournament that was like had like three thousand people in it. I ended up like fiftieth, and that was like very limited. So I was like kind of proud of that. But the point is, Barbasol, um, I'm here for you, buddy. I'll, I'll have a, a couple plays for you there. Seamus Power, Seamus Power, love Seamus Power. Uh, <laughs> college football's around the corner. That's for you, Joel. Yes, we've got the thank you S guy for listening. Uh, Miami Mike is back. Uh, evening, thank you. Um, but Joel, as I kind of scroll down these, um, how, how should we get started? You want to go right into the pricing? What do you want to do? Yeah, I think uh, I think there were some good questions in here um, in terms of the withdrawals. Um, I, like I said, I think if, if we have confirmed players are there by tomorrow, I think you can feel okay about playing. But you should anyway just be up and looking at it up until tee off because it's at night and it's not like you just an alarm in the morning. So just to be safe, that's what I would recommend. Um, for now, yeah, let's dive right into the player pool. I think, I think, uh, uh, to get started, I'll give a little bit of a course breakdown. We know it's a Lynx course, um, mm-hmm. it's 7,100 yards. It's it's not going to play, you know, not a, not a bomber's course, not a short person's course. It's just kind of average, is what it is. It is different, so it's uh, it that doesn't really mean anything in terms of like you need to target certain people. Uh, maybe if you know a guy who has experience doing well on Lynx courses, that's something you can maybe look at. Um, and maybe players who are good in the wind, because we know it's just it's likely to be windy there. So that could be something. But other than that, I think for me this week, it's all about recent form. Like what guys are coming in in good form? That's who I want to target as priority A. Priority P is B is salary, right? Where are we finding a good number? Where is somebody mispriced where we can find an edge there? That's how I'm going to be kind of narrowing down my player pool. So yeah, how about you? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is experience at British Opens or at Link style courses. I, that's probably the, the more important of, of those two factors I, I, I mentioned. So I'm definitely looking for guys that are so here. He, there, there's such a difference between like a course like we had here and a course like we had last week, or really a, a lot of the courses on the PGA Tour. So there's so many kind of like different landmines. The, the bunkers are different. You know, they're, they're sand dunes. They're, there's no protection from the trees. So I think your classic like European player, Australian player, South African, whatever it is, that's sort of like your classic non-American who didn't grow up in in the like sort of the American system, you know, in the States. I think they have an advantage, especially if they've got experience on the Euro Tour or if they're your Euro Tour player. I'm going to give them a nod in like tiebreakers, for example. So I'm definitely looking at that. There's definitely some guys that I normally really like that I'm just not sure have the experience that I'm looking for. 
and I think could really break down when they get in trouble because they're not used to or accustomed to this style of course. So that's the only thing I would add in there. I love it. I love it. I think uh, I'm with you on that for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about this top tier. Um, I mean, the, the obvious one that, that stands out is Rom. Rom is you know playing on another level right now. Uh, I think the first thing that came to mind when uh, I started looking at this field is um, for our dedicated listeners who've been with us for a while, if you recall a few months back, uh, there was a time where DJ was on a heater and Sia mm-hmm. made the claim that he might be uh, the closest thing to Tiger in his prime as we've seen in a long time. I did uh, say that. It's very regrettable. <laughs> Extremely regrettable. Well, you know, at the time he was red hot. But what yeah. my point is, why well, the reason I bring that back up is because I feel like Rom is the closest thing to DJ was when he said that, right? So yeah. we're getting a guy who is red hot, um, can't be playing much better. Um, hard not to like him. Sia, what do you like about this uh, top range? Well, it's funny you mentioned what happened, what's happened to DJ since. It's not like DJ's horrible, but DJ's not DJ, okay, obviously. And it's funny that you bring up Rom as a comparison to what I said because it kind of speaks to the volatility of golf. As much as I like John Rom, and as much as I, you know, I am going to play him, it's like, yeah, but it's a hundred and what is it, 56, 156 person field. There, there's got not it's this isn't a tournament that like anybody can win, but if you're talking about John Rom versus Brooks Kepka or John Rom versus, let's say, Xander, pick your guy, pick the guy that you like, Jordan Speed, Patrick Cantley. I don't think the margins are, or if you like Victor Hovland or Colin Morikawa, I don't think the margins are so crazy that you have to be like, well, looks like John Rom won the US Open. He should have won the Memorial. He was eighth at the PGA Championship. It's like, oh, wow, well, I guess I have to jam in John Rom. Well, that, that's not really true because golf is a different sport. This is not, it doesn't pan out like you think it's going to pan out always. And in fact, it almost never does. So I do like John Rom. I'm not going to say he's my favorite because I think Brooks Kepka is my favorite. He's the guy I'm picking to win this tournament. But John Rom is a very close second. I mean, I'm getting kind of a salary saving, obviously, with Brooks Kepka. So that's kind of nice. Brooks is going to be even more popular than John Rom, it looks like. But let's wait and see. Steven's ownership article will come out tomorrow, probably a little bit earlier than it normally does because of the um, the Open Championship uh, starting time. But I like Brooks Kepka. I like John Rom. As far as the other three guys in this elite tier, I don't really like anybody. I, I don't like Rory. I'll just right off the bat. I understand his his open experience is awesome, but uh, I'm just it's not for me. Uh, Dustin Johnson probably not for me as well. I just don't trust him yet. Xander is interesting. Uh, I think his ownership isn't doesn't look like it's quite as high as I anticipated. If that's the case, I may pepper him in. But Joel, you know me, I'm not really a big ownership guy because I'm playing a lot of the single entries and the three maxes, and I I don't need to get super different. I'm just typically not on Xander. He, he's he's just not a guy that really closes. The metrics always speak to me. It's always like, oh my God, this guy's rating out so great. But it never really, it, it doesn't really come to fruition versus some of the guys that are are in his class. So give me Brooks Kepka, give me John Rahm. And for the record, I don't think you have to start in this range if you don't want to, especially if you're in a cash game. I think you can start lower and really go balanced because there's a lot of really good guys in the 9, 8, and 8K range, some in the 7K range. But I will definitely start some lineups with John Rahm and some with Brooks. I think that's a really good point. Um, For this range, I'm pretty similar to you. I'll flip the order. I go Rahm, then Brooks, but those are my my two favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm with you. I don't love Rory this week. I just don't think his form is fully back. I mean, he did show a few times where he'll pop and, you know, he does have a good history, but it's just not the Rory of old. And, you know, if maybe if Rory was a thousand cheaper, then I would be more interested. But mm-hmm. as one of the most elite guys, I just think there's other guys we can go to. 
Um, I, I have the same, I have similar take with Xander. I mean, Xander, the, the one thing for Xander that I like is that he does have like a, he's like the, the minor league version of Brooks and that he does play better at majors. He plays up mm-hmm. for him. So if you like that narrative, that is something that, that Xander has. But other than that, I just don't think Xander should be in this top tier. I think he's the second tier guy. He should be in that nine K range with the rest. So if I can just get a bunch of nine K guys and save a little salary, I think that probably makes a little bit more sense. Can I say something? You, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I like Patrick Cantley. He's all the way in the 8K range for some reason. Why is Xander 1100 more than Patrick Cantley? That see, and that's what are we the, doing? The pricing this week is soft. It's very, very soft. So you can build rosters. Like there's guys that in the low 7K range that I like a lot that I could have seen in the 8K range. So mm-hmm. we can fit the guys we want to fit and make it work this week. So don't feel like you have to finagle too much. Like play the guys you like. There's there's different ways we can make salaries work. I mean, it, it's soft pricing this week. Um, that's it. So I was going to ask because I, I I don't really have much to say in anymore in the 10K range, but right below Xander, let's just go to the 9K range. Well, real quick, before we dip out of yeah. the range, one other thing I did want to mention is I do keep an eye on Dustin's ownership. I, mm-hmm. I'm not heading into the week. I'm not that high. I'm not loving trying to squeeze Dustin in. But if I see him dipping you know, well below 10%, at that low of an ownership, I mean, listen, he definitely is capable of winning this tournament. He's still number one in the world in, in golfer mm-hmm. in the world. So I almost like the pricing this high I, I would take if he's going to be, you know, 7% or something, then then he's worth a, a shot, especially in these GPPs. I totally agree. And I think what's going to happen with Dustin is people are going to see what you see and they're going to be like, oh, it looks like he's like 8%. I'll, I'll go ahead and jam him into, you know, 40 of my 150 lineups, you know, yeah. late Wednesday evening or whatever it is. And I think that'll shoot up. But to your point, if he stays 10% or lower, you kind of have to play him if you're playing multiple lineups. Yeah, that's one of those. It's almost like it's almost like a rule. Okay, he's he's number one in the world. Like that doesn't mean a lot to me it, because the turnover and the in the world golf rankings are like so slow. But with that said, we know what Dustin just we we know what his upside is obviously. So if you're doing ten lineups and you don't have one with Dustin Johnson and he's less than ten percent owned, again, I don't want to get caught up too much in ownership because. A lot of these people, you know, they don't need to worry about it. They think they need to worry about it because they keep hearing us say, hey, this guy's this much owned. You got to pivot all this stuff. But a lot of that conversation is for a certain type of tournament. And I know I'm guilty of bringing it up all the time because to me, it's just kind of interesting who people like and who people don't like. But I will say, if you have the number one player in the world, or at least the guy who has the potential to reachieve that mark in my in my mind, I'm not talking about the world golf rankings, and he's, he's under 10%, Joel, I, I totally agree with you. For sure. All right, that that is a I like that range. Uh, let's jump down to the nine k range. Uh, see who you who you like here. So I, so I don't like Bryson. That's why I was almost like trying to cue you up. I wanted to see. I have to ask you before I even tell you who I actually like in this range. Are you playing any Bryson? So as of right now, zero. Uh, not interested. However, same thing that goes <laughs> with with Dustin. I mean, mm-hmm. if he's going to come down this low, listen, he's capable. I, the main thing with Bryson, again, I think this gets overlooked with him too much. Bryson's a very good putter. And I think people – he don't think he gets credit for that. And so if his putter gets hot for a week and he keeps his driver straight, he can win any tournament. So, you know, at this low of an ownership, that's what's attractive to me about Bryson. If he was the same 15% of all the other guys up here, I wouldn't be considering him. But right now he looks so low. And, like, with a guy who is definitely capable of winning any tournament – uh, that's a GPP difference maker where I'll consider. So I got to wait till tomorrow to see what, where that final ownership looks. But 
uh, he's an ownership play as well. So speaking of the putter, uh, I do have to put this up. So Jesse, thank you for the, the comment. So this is interesting. Joel, maybe you have a different take than me, but so we know Xander's going back to his old putting grip. And so that's why, Jesse, I'm not sure that this comment makes me less interested in Xander because his old putting grip was, he was actually putting really well. And with the new putting grip, he wasn't like losing strokes putting, but it, it wasn't it wasn't good compared to what he was doing before. And, and I, I actually think him going, the way he's striking the ball, him going back to the old putting technique might actually give him confidence. And, and he's certainly accustomed, he's more accustomed to that putting technique than the one he's been trotting out lately. So I think I was talking about this yesterday, I think on the on the first cut where I was like, I wasn't even considering Xander, but this is the type of thing that like makes a difference that we all realize after the tournament. And we're like, oh, why didn't we think of that? And it's like, oh, he went back to his old putting grip where he was putting really well. Oh, and the ball striking was really good. I guess that's all he needed. Why didn't I think of that? So that's actually, I'm actually glad you brought it up because you reminded me of my kind of line of thinking there. And Joel, I, I wondered, am I wrong there? To Jesse's point, is it just you're going back and forth and it's just like just not going to be good for a major for you to be messing with it like that? That's, you know, that's my initial instinct. It's like, mm -hmm. you, you obviously don't have, you're not going into it with a lot of confidence if you're changing what you were doing before heading into the major. Um, but I don't think that means, I, it's, it's not like such a thing where I feel like I would totally fade him because, you know, like C said, it's, it, he's going back to something he's used to. There is, I can see the possibility of it, you know, catching fire and working out for him. I don't think it's, that's impossible, uh, but that's not what I would expect. So um, to me, it's, it's not a thing that's probably going to move the needle for me much either way. Gotcha. Um, I don't think it's going to be, I'm going to want any more of them or less of them because of it. So the guys I like in the 9K range, uh, there's there's only a couple actually. Uh, Louis is, I think, kind of an obvious one. I think he's going to be popular, but not extremely popular. I just think when you're looking at this, this open course, Royal St. George's, I think you're really looking for guys who, A, have a lot of experience navigating trouble, and, and, hey, and B, are like very um, – plottish like they 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 plot out their shots they they're, they're just gonna they're just going to kind of go through the motions they're not going to get you know stung by a bad shot and try to make it up in one shot they're just going to kind of like plot along and, and map like have a roadmap and try to stick to it so i like louis for that reason we know he's really good in majors he's been good at british opens opens uh open championships whatever you want to call it i really wish they just stuck with the british open but that's just me that's that's an american talking maybe i just insulted <laughs> like an entire country i'm not sure but i like louis and i like jordan spieth i don't you know joel you're, you're the guy that's the jordan spieth whisperer i'm i'm certainly not but it's really what when i just tell when i just told you that i'm looking for guys who can really navigate a course and get in and out of trouble and it doesn't really bother them and, and by the way can get hot with the putter just like louis and jordan can i mean jordan almost seems like tailor-made no pun intended for this particular course and, and i think at 9700 it's just like and that's why he's obvious right uh he, i mean he's, he's very popular uh he's looking at like almost pushing he might get up to like 25 percent, but, but like why wouldn't he right it's just one of those things. So I'm not going to play a ton of him, but I do like Jordan Spieth. I do like Louis. I think I'm going to stay off Colin and Victor Hovland. Um, but if you want to try to convince me uh, as to one of those two or Justin Thomas or Terrell Hatton, feel free. Yeah, I'm with you on Spieth. I think it does feel like this course is made for him. Uh, you know, and the interesting thing that I'm seeing with Spieth is that he has a really good uh, history at this tournament. It's not these, – these tournament hasn't always been played at this course. So it's different courses. But mm – -hmm. It's more where we're talking setup and, and similarities, uh, and he has a good history. And that strikes something to me because if we remember, 
Spieth in the last couple of years has not been the best player. He's kind of cooled off. He's recently found this form and he's been playing great, but he's been playing well at this tournament, even the last couple of years when, you know, he hasn't been the, the premier player that he we used to seeing five, six years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. That's telling me, you know, if, if he's found something and he's going to play well at this tournament, that could be something, but 25% is a lot. So you got to, you know, you got to just make sure you, you have the right percentage of him in your lineups. Another interesting one to look at for me also is Justin Thomas. Again, Justin Thomas, I feel like is someone who, you know, three months ago is the highest salary guy in every tournament. And now he almost feels like a little bit of an afterthought. Um, you know, the ownership will be there and not, not going to be too high. He's not coming into like the best form we've seen of Justin Thomas, but he's playing better. He's, he's definitely showing improvement. If he makes some putts this week, uh, he, could, he could easily win any tournament he plays in. So, I think Justin Thomas could be interesting. I'm with you. I think all the points you made about Louis are spot on, especially the way he's playing recently. And this is another course that just seems almost tailor-made for Louis, right? Like he's like you said, I think you made a really good point. He's plotting through the course. He's gonna make his putts. He's got a really good short game. He's just gonna avoid trouble. He's not gonna implode like some other guys will. Um, and he'll just be there all week, which which you know is important. My only issue with Louis is that you know, we always love Louis when he's 8K, 8300. Yeah. Now they've priced him as an elite golfer, so it's a little different way of looking at him. Uh, but, you know, he deserves that that pricing. And then heading down to the bottom of this range, you know, just because it's technically, you know, it's the Open Championship, but it's the British Open, we know that. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes you like mm-hmm. me like Ty- Tyrell Hatton a little bit, right? You know, it just feels mm-hmm. like he's going to feel a little bit of a home field. It feels like these are the courses he should excel at. Um, 9K, again, is pricey for him. I know he's not playing as the – you know, top tier guy. His form isn't quite there. He just got married, but you know, maybe that's the narrative, right? Maybe it's a hey, married man coming off winning a tournament. Uh, I don't know. I, I just like you know, having in the UK just feels like it has a good feeling to me. And then uh, the last two, Hoglin and Morikawa, they're both similar feelings for me, right? They're both really good ball strikers that don't have too much experience, and everything that uh, that's out there is kind of you want experience at this course, so you have to sacrifice that. But they're two great golfers, so you know I, I'm not going to give them a ringing endorsement. I'm probably not going to be overweight on them, uh, but I'll definitely have a little bit of exposure because they're just they're just too good to to completely ignore. Yeah, and, and for the record, when you say experience at this course, I mean I think you're talking about like Ling style course courses, just because Sorry, obviously, we, yeah. But 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 it's a good point. I mean I think Hovland, being from where he's from, uh, he probably has a little bit more than than we think about. He has played on the Euro Tour a little bit, so I'm I'm kind of like second guessing myself, but I still think. He's just, well, I, I don't want to say like immature or young, but like, I, I still think, I don't think he's going to handle the problems like some of these other guys that are near his range are. And so it's a very, that's me doing some narrative building and it is Victor Hovland. He's an excellent ball striker. Feel free to play him if you want. But for me, I think I'm going to pivot off of him. I don't know that I'm super comfortable pivoting off Hovland and paying up for Louis Oosthuizen because it's like, that's weird. Like what? Like what am I? What am I even doing? That's again. It's one of those moments where after the tournament, you're like, oh, well, Hovland comes in second, for example, and Louis comes in, you know, fifty fourth, and you're like, wait a minute, did I just outthink myself? So you got to really be careful here. Like if you believe in Hovland, play him. I when I looked at this field, which I you know I always look at early. Of course, pricing and and odds came out way way early because it's a major, but. Hovland wasn't on my radar. It just was one of those things. I had an impression that he wasn't going to excel on this course, and I'm just going to stick with that. But if you had the opposite impression, he's Victor Hovland. Don't play Louis instead of him if you don't want to. I mean, it's you know, at, at certain points, it's kind of like you, you do have to go with your gut to an extent. So, 
And one thing I want to add to that is the the thing I'm reading about for this week and learning is while there's very, very little course history to go off of, there is something to British open history where the certain course set up and things like that that you can go back to where guys have success at. So that might be something to look at where being their first time playing Morikawa and Alvin, they don't feel like rookies to us because we talk about them so much and they've been around and they win. But they don't have experience here, and that that could hurt them. They may they may run into some trouble that they don't know uh, you know how to get out of. So that's just a, 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 some food for thought. But uh, I think we have a good a good wrap on this on this tier. Now let's get into the AK range, and the AK range I think is where we can start to find some differentiators, uh, and we can really kind of do our roster construction with this range. So see, who do you like here? Uh, by the way, before I say who I like, we've got um, Sicily Kid jumping in. Kevin Tway wins the Barbasol. Now, Kevin Tway did great last week. Is he back? Is, was Kevin Tway ever here? Kind of. You know, a couple of years ago, Tway was actually kind of decent at tournaments. But, uh, okay, there's your answer. I don't know who asked. I think it was Jesse. Um, Kevin Tway. Well, first of all, Steven, you can't – come on. Fundamentals, man. You, you can't put out the name without putting out the odds. If you want us to drool over, over your pick – um, year-round golf drool, uh, then we need to know the odds so we can get really excited. I- I'm assuming, Joel, what do you think Kevin Tway is in this field? He's got to be like 66 to 1. Well, I know see, it's a bad field, but it's Kevin That's Tway. what I mean. Like, yeah. This field is so hard to think, to guess because like every golfer in this field to me should be like 80 to 1 and up because they're, <laughs> like, it's, right. they're all there, so I don't know how to start. So I think 66 to 1 is probably a good guess, and I, I couldn't yeah. tell you. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so okay, the 8K range, Joel – there's two guys I like, and they're both at the top. I think I would be willing to take chances on other guys in this range, but they would just be chances, like very like small potatoes, small shares, maybe a Paul Casey here or there. I'm really, for some reason, Paul Casey's another guy that just sort of frightens me out here. So uh, give me Patrick Cantlay. Uh, there's not much not to like. He does have open experience. He's only played twice, 41st and 12th. That's pretty good for your first two times out. Again, this is a different course, but you're managing, you know, for the most part, you know, these these similar type of courses. And by the way, over his last four tournaments, 13th, 15th, 1st, and 23rd. Prior to that, he was in a gigantic slump, but I think he sort of found his game. And at 8,900, he's going to be popular because it's it's an eye-popping number for Patrick Cantley, but I absolutely love it. I think Patrick Cantley is a cash game lock. And I think he's shown that he has the recent form and he has the open experience to at least make the cut and maybe make a charge. So I think 8,900 is a great price. Patrick Reed, I like, he's, he's also popular, which is annoying to me because I don't think Patrick Reed should be popular. But the point is, I mentioned how I want guys who have a roadmap, who can navigate the course, not get too up, not get too down, be creative with their shots. And Patrick Reed is like literally the embodiment of those words I just described. So I think Patrick Reed, he hasn't been you know in the best form but he hasn't been bad either uh, lately. So I think Patrick Reed is, is a really smart play as well. I'm, I'm for sure with you on Reed. I love Reed this week. Reed's one of my favorite plays. So I will definitely be overrate on Reed. Um, I'm with you on Cantlay as well. I like Reed a bit more, but I, I definitely will be having my share of Cantlay. Again, I think Reed and Cantlay and these guys are just as good in my mind as some of these guys in the 9K range. So here's where we can get our salary savers. Here's where we're going to – that's how I'm handicapping this tournament is just – you know, by finding that kind of value. Now, for as a course fit wise, you know, my initial reaction to Hideki was no way. This doesn't seem like it's going to be the fit. After further looking, uh, the ownership on him looks so low. Wait, like, did you say Hideki? Hideki. He's not in. That's why the oh, ownership. He, okay, 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 okay. That Withdrawal. Meant that, 
I was gonna say like, that can't be a one. I think one percent that can't be right. But then withdraw that. That yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, uh, then it should be under one percent. So that that makes more sense. Uh, Casey, I like. I think you're gonna get a really solid ball striker. Um, you know, Paul Casey's been competing like in every tournament he's played in this year. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been making putts. So you know, if he comes out and somehow has a week where he makes some putts, he can win the tournament. Uh, but he hasn't been doing it. So. We need him to make some bucks. Maybe he'll be getting over to the UK, and, and maybe these greens will, will help him, and, and he'll drain some putts. And if he does, his ball striking is like Morikawa-esque recently. It's it's unbelievable. So I think the greens will help him, actually, and because these greens are going to be slower. And, and I actually asked Greg Ducharme from the first cut uh, yesterday. I said, you know, because the greens are slower, is that going to be an advantage to your Sergio Garcias, to your your Paul Casey's, for example? And and you know, he's a he's a golf pro, he's a golf coach. Greg is, and he's like, yeah, you know, the, the breaks are going to be less severe. It's just going to be way easier to read read the putt to to put a lot of speed on it without worrying about you know it, it being a disaster and, and getting into those like the three putt world, uh, which is why I, I'm okay with that narrative on Casey that like finding a hot putter, I'm going to throw Sergio Garcia in a couple lineups, even though, you know, his putter has been absolutely horrific because I think this might be a venue where the bad putter can kind of catch up to the good putter. So I, I don't mind the logic on Casey. I definitely will be playing a little bit of him. Um, but for some reason, you know, looking at his open experience, I thought it would be better, but granted that was back then, right? You know, we haven't had an open in a couple of years and his ball striking has been pretty much elite most of this year. There have been a couple tournaments where it's been like, oh, darn, I'm sorry I played him. But for the most part, he's been okay. So I, I don't mind that play at all. Yeah, yeah. that's. I think he can be really interesting. Now, uh, another play that that I think is, is intriguing me uh, is Tony Finau. Now, we know Tony Finau has top five upside. We've seen him maybe probably not top one upside, but top five upside we know. Uh, and – at 8400 this is a really good price. I don't think the ownership's going to get too high on Finau. I think he's going to stay maybe at 10%, which is, is a pretty good number for his talent level. He also has a really good history. I mean, his last four times at the British Open, it was third, ninth, 27th, and 18th. Now, he's coming off two cuts, which is why his ownership's low. You know, he's not coming into this with super form. Um, but to me, that's okay. I mean, listen, this is a, a major championship. He's traveling out to get to. And, you know, if you want to look back on Finau's career, how many times has he missed three cuts in a row, right? So these guys figure it out, right? They don't just all of a sudden become one of the best golfers in the world to just terrible. Um, they might have a, a couple weeks where, they, where they're not hitting it right, but they figure it out and they adjust and they get right back to where they were. And that's kind of where I am with Finau. And maybe I'm wrong this week, but it'll probably be next week or the week after, right? He's not just going to not be an elite golfer anymore. It's coming and it's coming in one of the next couple of tournaments. So, I think at 8,400 at good ownership, I think Fino could be could be a good way, especially in GPPs, to get different. You know who I'd rather play than Tony Fino? Tell me, Tony Dorsett, <laughs> Tony Danza, uh, Tony Soprano, uh, any of the members of Tony Tony Tony. Tony I'm Soprano? not. I, I mentioned Tony Soprano. Okay, okay, good, good, good. I can't do it. I can't do it. I totally get the upside argument, but like. Come on, like at what point? And by the way, in in defense of your pick, this is what I said about Spieth, right? I spent six months being right about Spieth, like, oh, you're really going to bring up Spieth again? Like, give me a break. And then all of a sudden, he's the best golfer in the world. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess he finally caught up. Like, is I, I'm sure Tony Finau is going to have a good tournament, but is this where we're going to take the chance on him? I mean, I just one exercise that I do a lot when building lineups, and 
listen, it's not it's not data that tells you to play a guy, but something I like to do is I'll look back and I'll say, all right, when was the last time he missed two cuts? Or when was the last time he was finishing 50th and 90th? And and what was that trend? Right? I want to see, does he go on stretches of months at a time where he'll continue to miss cuts and, and read a cold drink? Or does he typically have two or three missed cuts and then back to a top 10? Or is it two or three missed cuts to a 30th where he gradually gets by? And I just want to see, how does he historically trend? And with Finau, I tend to be, he has a couple bad stretches of, of rounds, but then he goes right into a top 10. Right. He doesn't usually ease his way in. And that's what it kind of looks like. The data shows when he's off, he, he comes back hot on that first return. So you don't want to be late on Fina. You want to be first because he usually comes in with a pretty good finish when he does get there. But it is a gamble. You got to gamble if you think he'll. If this is the week where he turns it around. It's going to come. He's not, you know, disappeared from golf. Uh, it's just a matter of when. So I'm going to roll the dice on him. It's a GPP play. I agree. It's not a safe play. It's not something you want to do in cash. But if you want to get different, I think at 8,400, I think for me, Finau someone I'm, I'm going to take a swing on. Um, I, I saw someone commented about Scotty Scheffler as well. Scotty mm-hmm. Scheffler's a good play this week. There's a, a video I saw on Twitter of him shaping his shot like really low and he crushes the drive and like it's like two feet off the air and it, it was smoked. And it's like after I saw the video, I was like, all right, let's get Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> so I was like, I was super impressed. And, and you know him he, at, at this price. He's another one of those guys that has a lot of a really high upside for being the low 8K range. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely someone I'll be looking to in GPPs as well. That's interesting. I'm going to have to take a second look at Scotty because he wasn't on my radar initially. Uh, we got Sicily Kid watching. Of course, that's Steven who will be writing our ownership article and who is always in Discord with Isaiah. Isaiah, another one of our writers. Thanks for watching, fellas. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll be talking later tonight, obviously. Um, so where does that leave us, Joel? The 7K range? Let's get down to the 7K range. Um, and I think, guys, this is where we can really – this is where we're going to be you know, finding a real difference. There's a handful of guys down in the 6K range we'll mention as well. But the 7K range, there's plenty of value, and we can really kind of find those guys that we are you know, priced maybe incorrectly or are good value down here and really build the lines the way we want to by handicapping these guys. This is the important frame to me. It's, it's hard to guess which of the best golfers in the world are going to show up in win week or not. But these are the ones where we can say, these guys aren't priced right. These guys are priced as mediocre golfers, but they're better than that. And we're going to find them for you now. So I'll start in this range. I think the very top of the range is where I like the most. There's three names that stand out, and I love all three of them. Shane mm-hmm. Lowry, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Cameron Smith. All three of these guys easily could have been $1,000 more, and no one would have batted an eye. All three of these guys are coming in. And I would say relatively good form. Um, you know, Matthew Fitzpatrick just finished tied for second. Um, we know he he can pop in any given week down in this price range. Shane Lowry, we've been talking about for a while now. He's in been great form this year. He's playing some of the best golf he's played in a long time. He's won the British Open before. So if you're worried about you know this setup and how he'll fit, we know he plays well, and we know he plays well in the win. So a lot of things he checks the box for for someone under his 8K. And Cameron Smith, you know, Cameron Smith is one of those guys that's never going to pop in a model, no matter how you run it. It's just not him. Uh, But he's someone who can get extremely hot with his short game and putter, which is what you'll need here. He's coming in, I think, in relatively good form where he got cold for a while, but then he did pretty well. He got tied for 30th of the Travelers. I think, you know, he blew up on on day four, but he was almost winning the tournament. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to like about Cameron Smith. He can put together another four days here. I think he can really compete uh, to win this. Um, going down, I think Joaquin Neiman really, you know, showed well at the Rock and Mortgage. I don't know how good of a fit this course is going to be for Neiman. I'm probably not going to be too high on him, 
But for the level of golfer he is and the price tag and ownership that I see on him, I think he's certainly a viable play. Um, I think C has probably mentioned Sergio. Um, Abraham Answer is another one who I like a lot this week. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who, if you haven't heard already, some of these sand traps, you know, you don't need to be too accurate off the tee. But if you find yourself in trouble in some of these channels, they can be very difficult to get out of. They're, they're a little bit different than some of the traps we have in the States. And I think he's going to do a good job navigating that, keeping himself out of trouble. Um, and he, his, his approach play, his iron play has for him has been pretty good. It's been pretty strong. So he's coming in with pretty good form. I think if he has a hot week with the fly stick, he can definitely compete this week as well. Yeah, answers another guy I normally play, but for whatever reason wasn't on my radar. Open experience isn't great. Two missed cuts, but like – you know, he's, he's a younger golfer out there. Like he's obviously playing better now than he was in 2018 and 2019 when um, he, I think he had a, a big win in 2019, but uh, overall he's definitely in better form. So that, that's an interesting one. I'm going to have to reconsider him. You know, I, I, I've been going back and forth on Matt Fitzpatrick. I, I don't like when I, he always waits out pretty well. And, and when we talk about how he's good at, on tough courses, but the recent form really isn't that great. The open experience form, at least recently, um, isn't that great. So I just wonder if we're just investing a little bit too much stock in him. And when I say that, I mean, he's going to be pretty popular. It looks like he's going to be owned. Um, his ownership is going to be 15% or more. So I just find that interesting. I, I do like Shane Lowry. The recent form is great. The open experience for the open form is really good. Cam Smith is one of those guys. Like, I just don't get like, like you said, he doesn't, he doesn't pop on a model, but it's like smoke and mirrors. But I did say earlier in the show, I'm looking for guys like that this week. Like Lowry's one of them. Um, Patrick Reed is one of them. These are guys that is just like, they know how to navigate courses like this. And they can get really hot with the putter too. Like Cam Smith, especially in the short game in general, which is going to come into play to some degree here. So of those three guys at the top, I think I like Cam Smith the best. I think I'm going to end up fading Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick, but that's not because I don't like him. I just feel like I, I might like Lowry and Smith just as much, so I may as well take the guys that are owned just a little bit less, you know, all, all other things being equal. I'll just give you a few other names. This 7K range is gigantic. I mean, you you can really take chalk up top because it's very likely that in this 7K range, you're not going to be on a lot of chalk. You know, you, you can really get different in this range by, by getting a good golfer that's, you know, 4% owned, for example, or 6% owned, whatever it is. A um, couple of other names. Jason Day, I think, is interesting. He's he's been in pretty good form, and I think the experience, like the experience, his British Open experience, Open experience is really good. And I just think this might be the time to play Jason Day. I don't think the injuries are going to get in his way. They certainly haven't, or I mean, they haven't to a large degree over the last couple tournaments. And I think it's it might be time to play Jason Day, but I don't like him as much as the next couple names I'm going to tell you. Daniel Berger is just mispriced. Okay, like it's one of those Cantley situations where he's just mispriced. He should probably be like 8,300, 8,400, something like that. And he's not. So you're getting value there. I like. Wait, uh, Sam, what are you seeing as an early ownership number for Burger? For Burger? Okay, I'm going to look at it now. It is right now, it's looking like it's going to be in in the 10 to 13% range, which is actually a touch lower than I thought. Now, again, I'd be happy with that. Exactly. I'm looking at stuff that is not what Steven is looking at, which is going to be way more precise. So we'll see. But I'm guessing it's going to be under 15%. and It might be as low as like 11%, which is totally fine. Like I'll I'll play him all day there. Um, So I like him. I like, uh, I think Harris English is mispriced. 
the way he's striking the ball, I, I think Harris English should probably be in the upper seven range, like at least close to the Lowry range, maybe 7,700. So I think you're getting value there. I'll probably have an outright on him. I think Brandon Grace is another good play, and I might take a shot at uh, Garrett Kigo, but I haven't decided there yet. Now, the I'm, I, I didn't get to the bottom part. I'm with you. All those names, I think Grace, I think people – Grace is Grace is interesting because he's not young, right? He's, he's not like an up-and-comer. He's been around. He's never been great, and he's just like – right now, it's like the best I've seen him play, and I think people are having a hard time coming around that like he might just be better than he was before because he's not young. Yeah, how can someone older get better? But I think he's just playing better golf now, and, and I'm with mm-hmm. you. I like Brandon Grace a lot. Uh, but one guy you didn't mention down here that, that I like a lot is Jason Kokrak at 7,200. Um, the ownership doesn't look all that high. Uh, he's playing great. I mean, he he uh, he was tied for 12th at the Rock and Mortgage. Um, I think, you know, at this price, he's another one that easily could have been in the 8K range, right? And at the low 7, this is the type of guy that I'm using to make these, you know, rosters work where I can jam in two of those top-tier guys and then do a balanced, you know, 7K approach after that. Uh, that get me there. So I love I love Kokrak a lot. And right mm-hmm. below him, I think Alex Norton and Ian Poulter are both interesting. They're both very similar type of golfers. So I'm going to kind of package them together. They both mm-hmm. have short game. Uh, they both can be able to can sink a lot of putts. And they're both in good form. They've both been playing really well. So uh, I think this week, again, we're look, talking all the way down at 7,200 at the bottom of this range. Norton's a guy who in his last three times in the British Open, he has t- three top 20s. Um, now – Poulter's more of a mixed bag where he's actually in his last five tries, he missed the cut four, but he does have a tie for 14. I just think right now we're getting an Ian Poulter playing some of the best golf of his life also. Um, you know, Poulter's one of those guys that, like, you know, plays up to the Ryder Cup and plays up to certain events. So True. it seems like an event that he might play up to, right? It's a major. Mm-hmm. So Poulter could be could be really interesting here as well. And then the rest of the bottom of this range, I'm, I mean, I, oh, the, we didn't mention there's some, there are some, some good sleepers down here. Guido. You know, Guido Migliozzi, all right, this guy has been on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. He's competing every week. Um, you know, at the Travelers, he was 13th. At the U.S. Open, he was fourth. He had uh, two back-to-back uh, seconds in the European Tour. His ball striking is, is red hot. He's a guy that I'm I, – right now I'm kind of playing ride him until he proves me wrong, right? Show mm-hmm. me something – give me a reason not to play him. Mm-hmm. And then another interesting one this week, and I'd love to see what happens with ownership, is Brian Harmon. This is a guy that's been red hot who's been just yeah. playing great golf. He missed the cut, not badly. He just missed the cut um, last week, and it feels like people are not turning, like, all right, he's done. He missed the cut. When it's like, you know, maybe he was just looking ahead to this week, you know, just missed the number, went home. He's still right before that was 5th, 19th, and 8th. Um, now, the counter to that is he, his last five outings here, he missed four cuts, and the only time he made it was tied for 26, but that was the fifth time ago. So it was a long time since he's done well, but for us who follow weekly – Brian Harmon is playing better golf now than he has been in a long time. This is yeah. the best one we're getting him. And at 7,100, um, let's not forget, he was what? The second or third highest priced golfer in the last tournament that he was in. And now yeah. he's 7,100. So just a way to think about it. Not only that, but every everybody played him. Everybody played him <laughs> and Spielman, and they're both in this tournament. And it wouldn't surprise me if at least one of them rebounded. And honestly, it's not like they're bad course fits. Obviously, they're a little short off the tee, but it's not gonna it's not gonna crush you. And they both are the type of guys that can really like navigate and plot through a course and just kind of map out their next shot and just boom go. And they're veterans too. So I honestly. I was thinking of potentially going back to Streelman, not in a single entry, but like if I'm doing a 20 max or a three max or something, maybe just surprising some people with a Streelman lineup or a Harmon lineup. I don't think, I don't think that's a bad play at all. 
And and um, Dom, don't forget to mention, Struman's only sixty eight hundred. I mean, that is a huge right. calorie savings. Right? These are, we're going way down again. Like C said, he was in great form. It's one disappointing week, which is like almost good, right? Give us the ownership back, right? Mm-hmm. Get people off of him so we can go back to play because he's not a completely different golfer after one one week. So we got a question here on a guy that looks – I mean, he's definitely getting a lot of chatter. As far as his ownership, it doesn't look like it's going to eclipse 10% or anything. But it's you know it's up there, 7 8%. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be on him. I know he really pops at certain tournaments. I mean, again, I don't want to re- refer to the model and refer to the numbers too much at this particular tournament. But off the tee and approach, like I, it's one of those – again, one of those like smoke and mirrors thing where it's like it could be like a Cam Smith situation where he – just figures it out, but I, I just I'm, I'm not in love with the play. But I know some people are. So Joel, are you one of them? So here's my I, I can see it. I can see him popping. I know there's some chatter. My thing with him with Bez is, he, I think he's more of a showdown play. He tends to not put together all four days. Like he'll there might be day two. He might be in like second place. They're all like, oh, we should have played him. We talked about it, and then by the end of it, he'll end up in like 36, and you know, not really in it. And that always happens with him because I always. Find myself saying, Oh, Bez, this was the week. I knew it. And it's mid tournament. And by the time the tournament's over, and you look back at his history, he's like, Oh, but he didn't really even finish top 20. He was just like kind of there. So I don't know. I just don't see, he doesn't seem to put together all four days for me. He does tend to pop a lot early on in tournaments, but then he doesn't end up being there. He just doesn't have a lot of great history. So for me, I'm with you. See, I probably won't be too heavy on him. So it's funny. What, the, what, how you just described him is really funny because, spoiler alert, in five minutes, we're going to give out our outrights and our first round leaders. And Bezetnut is actually featured in my first round leaders. He's one of five uh, first round leader plays. Now, obviously, that's all contingent on the wind and all that stuff. So, you know, this may change. But in terms of all things being equal, I have five guys and Sebez at 65 to one. See, the question elicited a first round leader play before we even got there. This is why this is why you got to ask questions. Now maybe he has to bail, and now he at least has the peace of mind to know I can put ten thousand dollars on Bezetnut and be rich basically for the balance of my life. You're so, only gonna go ten k. Well, see the thing is he's not my breaking news. He's not like the super super lock. So I mean he has one piece of information. He may as well run with it. But yeah, I mean he's he's one of the inferior plays to the breaking news, which of course is the play which we'll get to in just yeah. a few minutes okay that's fair stay tuned do we get to <laughs> stay tuned right. for now let's 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 give some plays in the 6k range so we can get up to some bets so again there's some value down here uh let's not go chasing you know the the wild names because they're not going to compete but there are some guys that we're going to look and be like hey in most tournaments this guy's like 8k why is he in the 6k range right those are the guys that we're looking for now so mm-hmm. first one i'm going to give um that i like in the 6k range is kevin kisner Kevin Kisner's in good form. He's coming off mm-hmm. two top tens in a row. Um, he's a guy that's like, like Sia said, he's a plotter. He'll map out his shots. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't have winning the tournament upside, but I think he does have top 20 upside. And in the 6K range, uh, if you want to cram in a few guys up top and then have to get different, I think you can certainly do that with uh, with Kisner. Kevin Sherman, we already mentioned. I also want to mention Sia. I, I, I don't want to take Sia Sunder if he wants to mention him. I will yeah. give him credit. It is Sia's boy. Uh, yeah. See, you want to go ahead? You, you, you take it. Well, I assume you're going to say Hank Leviota. No, I'm kidding. How is he not in this tournament? Uh, Ryan Palmer is, is where you were going, right? No, 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 no. Oh, no, no is it no, Chris no. Kirk? No, no. Oh, I know who it is. Okay, okay, okay. It's Keegan Bradley. I'm sorry. No, no, no. What? No. Richard Bland. Richard oh Bland. See yeah, you, okay. See, you had, see you had mentioned him 
before the U.S. Open when he almost won the tournament. And I was like, I didn't know who he was. I literally was texting. I was like, how did you come up with this? How did you know to play him? And he was like right there all until Sunday. He really was competing in it. And then I, I'm kind of doing a deeper dive into his numbers now. And he's still playing pretty well. I mean, he's not he hasn't disappeared. He's he's been striking the ball really well. He's competing in every tournament he plays in. I see no reason why not to go back to him. No, and and actually we know he can close because he won the British Masters in uh I guess it was April or May. So yeah, Blandit is it you know, he's gonna be super low owned again. The only problem with taking Blandit is for me, there's so many other guys you could potentially take. But yeah, I absolutely think Bland is one of them. And, and I definitely will have him in a couple lineups. Maybe not my like big single entries, but he deserves to be in a couple lineups. If you're making 20 lineups, Bland deserves to be, I think, in, in at least one of them. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I like that, though. You, but you, you were going to kick that back to me. So you have other 6K plays. Go yeah, yeah, I have a few more. So I'll, I'll keep going. I know someone mentioned in the chat... Um, if we like, did I see Lucas Herbert? I did see him in there, right? Did someone say that? No, I don't think you did, but he's one of my guys too. Go ahead. Oh, so there you go. So yeah, I, I like Lucas Herbert. I think he's interesting. His his form has been really good. He's been competing a lot recently. Uh, he's a Euro Tour guy, so not a lot of people really know about him. The one negative for him is I saw he he's, he he's this is not a good fit for him in terms of the the putting greens. Uh, he loses stroke on these greens, so I don't know. Now I don't overweight that too much. It's not something that's gonna completely pull me off someone or on someone, but just something that I didn't note uh, where I did see. And that could just be an outlier where maybe he played one tournament here and putted horribly. So that kind of skews all the stats. From, so it's hard to really know that. Uh, but he has been playing really well. So at 6,800, that's another value. I'm going to go Keegan Bradley, who, who you mentioned, uh, 6,700. Um, no, Keegan's also 68. I apologize. But again, the way he's been striking the ball recently uh, at this price is someone we can definitely feel comfortable. Again, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was 7,500. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll keep going down. There's a few more plays I like. The, the last two that I just want to mention um, are Christian Kirk, who – I think I said Christian Kirk, the receiver on the Cardinals. See, I'm losing my mind. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> my mind's on football. I'm ready. There's a lot going on. Um, but, no, you, Kirk has – so. Another thing I saw in an article, Chris Kirk, is uh, one thing you want to do at the British Open is kind of shape your shots. And that's something that Kirk has been open about saying is that he actually prefers. He actually feels uncomfortable hitting a straight shot. So in terms of a course fit, it could be like an interesting thing. That's a narrative streak. But at 6,400, you're looking for narratives. He's a guy who does have top 15 upside uh, and definitely is, is a way where I'm thinking – as everyone you've heard, if you if you've been preparing it all this week, you've you've heard Sam Burns is just mispriced at sixty three hundred, mm-hmm. uh, which I agree with. But the problem with Burns is he's probably going to get over twenty percent ownership, where I don't think Kirk will. So the pivot is at only a hundred dollars more, you can go to Kirk, uh, and I think he's also another steel play below sixty five hundred. Yeah, and, and I think people will still be a little afraid to play Burns, so I don't think it'll get up to like 20%, but he'll, he'll probably, I mean, he's going to be the, the highest owned guy in the 6K range for sure. So, and I, I like Chris Kirk. In fact, I think in my initial picks article, I think he's one of like the 12 guys that I had in there at 6,400. So yeah, I don't mind that at all. I like all of those plays. I, I would probably throw in maybe a few more. I think Stuart Sink is interesting. He's had a really good year. He has open experience. Um, Ryan Palmer... I think this is a dart throw, don't get me wrong, but we're talking about a good ball striker who has open experience and who happens to be in good form with a tie for fourth at the Scottish Open last week. Do I love it? Can he unravel? Yeah, he can unravel. But like he also, to me, you talked about top 15 upside. I think Ryan Palmer also has top 15 upside, which is really what you're looking for here. You're not looking for the guy that can take down the tournament. But we know Ryan Palmer at his best 
is really, really good. So uh, I like him. I like Lucas Herbert. He was also tied for fourth with Ryan Palmer last week at the Scottish Open. Uh, on the Euro Tour, I think he's third in strokes gained total. So that kind of speaks to like how well he's been hitting the ball overall. Um, Bland, we talked about. Kirk, we talked about. A couple other guys I just want to mention. And by the way, I didn't mention, I didn't go over Sergio Garcia again in the 7K range after bringing him up the first time. I do think he's the type of guy that can win you a GPP. And the next couple guys I mentioned are also really extremely risky guys that can also win you a GPP. One of them is super risky and it's Keegan Bradley because the putter has been so, so bad lately. But again, if you if you want to potentially trust the narrative that these greens are going to be a little bit easier for the bad putters specifically, you never know, man. And if Keegan happens to have a good putter, which he has in the past, not very often, but he has in the past, if he gets out with the putter and he strikes the ball like we know he can, like he's going to be in really good shape. And the other guy I think is Charlie Hoffman. Hoffman has been rating out in everybody's model really well over the last few months. He's been striking the ball really well. And I think it's 6,700. I think he's a viable play out here. So I want to add an interesting thought process to that before we kind of wrap up the 6K range. And so there's kind of two narratives you can take when you do that. And I agree with you. I think this is a course where we can take some shots on these really good ball strikers that have historically not been good putters, and they can find a hot putter. However, what I don't like to do is I don't want to do that with everybody, right? And now I have, mm-hmm. I'm relying on all these guys to make putts, which they're not normal doing. I prefer to sprinkle them in and say, hey, these are my, my main guys. Let me sprinkle in a couple shots on these these ball checkers who can get out with the putter. What I would recommend you don't do is try and say that's the narrative of the week. Everyone yeah. can make putts. So let me just get all the bad putters and ball strikers and put them in the lineup because that's what's going to win. I wouldn't go that route. I would just take a couple guys you like and sprinkle them into your lineup with, with the, the regular guys who are, you know, normally you can make putts and things like that that we like to take. Oh, I totally agree with that, especially when it comes to putting. You don't want to fall into the narrative of like team no putt. And, you, you know, now you're counting on five or six guys to all of a sudden get hot with the putter. It's like, nah, I don't think so. Um, we had a question here. Uh, Aaron Ray, uh, I think it's Aaron Ray or Aaron Rye uh, from Jesse. Uh, no, I'm not going to be on him. Uh, I, I don't really see, uh, in terms of open experience, he doesn't really have it. Uh, you know, historically, off the tee, he's been pretty good on approach, not really great. It's just it's just not a name. I mean, can he do well? I guess. I'm actually surprised he's 6,800. Maybe I need to do a deeper dive on him. But as of now, he didn't really kind of register on my radar. But thanks for the question because it, it'll actually get me to – take a second look do you have any thoughts on on Aaron I have heard his name come up this week um and that's about all I can say about him I yeah don't about him uh, uh you know I don't have much data on him uh I, and I did look at him once when I heard his name just to see I just looked at it like his his recent results and just not enough high enough finishes to make me interested for someone who's not even playing on like on the PGA tour so I'm probably gonna pay a fade I do want to say one other 6K guy, and this is courtesy of Nick Bretwish, and I'm, I'm glad I remembered it. Um, Nick is doing the Better Golf Pod right now with uh, Spencer Aguiar, or it's probably done, actually. It's probably out already on uh, in, in the Apple Store or whatever whatever you call it, Apple Podcasts. So definitely listen to that as well. You know, Better Golf Pod, they do it kind of more from a betting angle, but obviously there's crossover there between uh, betting and DFS. But somebody asked about Sebastian Munoz, and we know that was – um, that was Nick's like hammer play last week. And it was almost like the golden ticket. Cause he, you know, he definitely was in a position to win, but don't forget, you know, Nick had him as like top 40, top 30, top 20, obviously all those hit. He just had a bad Sunday and he didn't finish in first place, but we had a question. Um, I had a question to Nick. I was like, well, who's the Sebastian Munoz this week? 
in, in our group text, Joel. And uh, he didn't actually say this is a hammer play or anything, but he did like as just kind of a, a, a dart throwish type play in the 6K range. He did like Ryan Fox. So I haven't done a deep dive on him. I, I can't necessarily endorse that other than his open experience is actually pretty great. If you look at the, the four years he's played, what, the four years that I saw, um, he's, he's played in four of the last five. 16th, 39th, miscut 49th. I mean, that's pretty good for your 6K player that you never heard of. So um, I know Nick's going to definitely endorse him. Um, I'll do a deeper dive as well. I mean, looking at the metrics, nothing really jumps out to me, but it doesn't have to. Nick endorses it. I got to ask, who is he? Ryan Fies. So he's been on the Euro Tour for a while. Yeah, I only know that because sometimes I'll throw some bets out there. And and he's usually like, when you're looking at a decent European tour field, Ryan Fox is never in that, like, almost never in that, like, upper echelon between, like, odds of, like, 10 to 1 and, like, 30 to 1. He's usually, like, right under that. So he's a very competitive guy that gets some respect in the betting market, and he's usually somewhere in that, like, you know, 30 to 50 to 1 range in terms of outrights in, like, the, the decent tournaments. You know, I have a friend named Ryan Fox, so maybe for that reason I'll give him a shot. There you go. It's <laughs> reason enough, in my opinion. Uh, awesome. Now, this is great, guys. Uh, for me, the, the last note I'll put on the DFS side is uh, I think because of some of this value that we put out there down in this low 6K range and 7K range, we can. I think it's a little bit more of a narrow player pool. There's less taking, you know, some Hail Marys on some 6K guys that might be able to make the cut. I think there's a really, you know, smaller group of guys that we really like that we can put in our player pool and kind of build off of. So I feel good about that and just a matter of. Can one of us hit the winners, hit those top five guys, and put it all together to, to hit a big uh, a big tournament this week? And reminder, it's not going to be easy to get six out of six, but it is top 70 in ties at the Open. So you do have that benefit of like a little bit more like cushion at the end to potentially get your, your sixth uh, or fifth or sixth guy in. Totally. Love it. So let's go to the bets. What are we liking on the betting card? I know um, C is definitely emptying his bank account on our first-round leader, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, right. Before we do that, let's talk about outrights first. See, do you have any outrights that you're looking at that, uh, for this week? So I only wanted to do three outrights, and it's partly because I am really – I hit an outright last week, and it's so funny how that happened because I really liked Lucas Glover when the tournament opened. but I And so I put it in. If you look – I put it on Twitter. The bet was made Monday afternoon. Okay. So it was like right when the lines came out, the, the bet came in. And then I put a bet Wednesday morning in on Shank. And then I put another bet on Shank after the tournament started. So I had so like, it was 150 to one. Like I had so much invested on him. If you won my point in bringing up Glover in that winning ticket was when I did more research, I didn't like Glover anymore. His recent form wasn't very good. I was just like, I like him for this course, which is why I took him in the first place. But the research sort of gotten me off of him. So I, I don't have any sort of like, major confidence in, in in a handful of guys. I'm going to give three, and I'm going to give the advice that if you're planning on betting in the outright market, take one or two guys if, if, if you really want to. Man, that live bet is huge, man. I'm telling you, Thursday night, you know, when or when, Thursday afternoon when when the open ends, you know, the first round ends, take a look at the odds again. You, there's there's so much navigating you can do, and, and, and you can get better numbers on guys that you really like. Like I like Brooks Kepka a lot at 16 to 1. That's, that's my first of three outrights. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to put 
the 16 to one is so short. I might wait for him to have a a lackluster day one and get him at 25 to one. You know, maybe, you know, it's not going to go. It's not like he's going to blow away the field day one and all of a sudden be like five to one. You know, if he does really well, he'll be 11 to one, but he's done really well. So you got one day down, you got, you got a worse number, but you got confidence in the guy that you wanted to take pre-tournament anyway, go ahead and just, you know, you lost five points, no big deal. With the, with the favorites like that, I totally agree. These are just, they're not that good of a number anyway. So uh, either they don't do great and you can get a better number or they do do well. And long as they're not have a big lead, you'll probably still get six to one or eight to one. And at least, you know, they're in it versus, you know, they could implode on day one and then you just waste your money. So I'd rather wait for these short odds favorites because you can still get a good number. But one other thing before you place any outright bets this week, one thing I want to make everyone aware of is that especially here in the UK, the weather is really volatile. So the splits in terms of weather advantage, I think, is bigger this week than normal. And we want to know what that is before we start placing bets. Because if you end up taking a guy to win the tournament and he ends up getting the short end of the straw with the terrible weather, it's just kind of like you're not – it's just not a good bet. So let's just wait until Wednesday when we have a better read of the weather, what it's going to look like, where the splits are, and then we can say, okay, I know my guy's going to have the weather advantage, and then you want to take him, you'll feel much better about it. Yeah, I totally agree with that, which is why I haven't actually laid an outright bet. The other two that I like in terms of liking the number, Patrick Cantlay at 35 to 1. I just think the number's wrong. If, if anything, maybe 28 to 1 should be the right number, maybe 25 to 1. 35 to 1 is is disrespectful. Um, Harris English at 60 to 1. That's that's my last one. I just, you know, it doesn't seem like Harris English would win an open, but he's really in really good form. He's playing with a ton of confidence. When he was in bad form, it seems to be because of a back injury. So I, I think we're really getting, we're, I, I feel like we're still early on English, if you can believe that, especially at this tournament. So I think 60 to one is a great number. I've seen it at 66 to one in other places. It's not going to be shorter than 60 though. And I think that's a great number. I like it. I think it was a really good one. I'm on a lot of those guys as well. I think from an outright market, um, I think there's a, there's one pretty long shot I like a lot. It's one that we can all look at at 100 to one. Mm. Brian Harmon. Oh, okay. Great. I just think that's a that's a really long number for Brian Harmon as well as he's mm-hmm. been playing. He probably should be closer to that 70, 60 to 1 in my eyes. So at 100 to 1, I think we can get a good value. So uh, I like Brian Harmon a lot from that perspective. Um, some other outrights I'm looking at, I think uh, Abraham Answer at 65 to 1 could be interesting. Uh, I like Cameron Smith at 60 to 1. Um I think one that, that C is going to laugh at, and it's just funny to say because the guy can't win, but I will. I'm, I'm going to put I know what you're going to say. Tony Finau at 45 to 1. Uh, I, again, it's a it's a number where he's, I think, a better golfer than the price he's getting picked put at. Um, he's you know not in great form, but uh, I promise you one day Tony Finau is going to win a major. It's going to happen before his career ends. I can't promise you it's this week, but it's going to happen. So I know – if he's playing well going into the next one, you're not going to get 45 to a not. So I think that's that's a way to get a, get an advantage. Fair enough. Um, are you ready for the breaking news and, and the um, second place first round leaders? 9-11 on Tuesday night. See, it breaks some news for me. So I am going to tell the world who the first round leader after day one of the Open is. But before I do that, I I do want to give out some other names of guys that are really going to contend and sort of get the sweat up so you can feel free to sprinkle some money on them as well. I'll start with the shortest one. He actually might be shortest in stature as well, although that might be Seabest. Shane Lowry at 50 to 1. 
Um, that he was almost the breaking news. He can get hot on a day one. He's definitely going to be comfortable at this course. So I have no problem with that. Uh, Harris English at 60 to one. Christian Bezidenhut at 65 to one. Charlie Hoffman at 80 to one. Now, your breaking news now at 9:12 on July 13th, a full day in a few hours before the open. I'm going to tell you who the round one leader is going to be. Joel, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm wondering with some of the money that you're going to win. I genuinely think you should probably like book a trip to England and just kind of experience London and some of those places. Maybe Cambridge. Joel, did you know I studied at Cambridge? Did you know that? That's brand new information. That is brand new information. Uh, When I was in law school at the University of Richmond, uh, they had a summer program. And uh, I indulged in it, and it was a study abroad at Cambridge. So and have so you now, the course? I've played the course while I was oh, studying. I went out really? to the course, yes. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I shot a uh, sixty-three um, through three holes, <laughs> and uh, it was a, an excellent experience. But anyway, I wanted a Cambridge drop. I wanted a name drop a little bit because uh, I haven't done that yet. Of all the names I've dropped, I haven't done that one yet. I heard you learned DFS at Cambridge. That's that's what they taught. It was yes. DFS 101. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. Right. And, you get the best and, education on this show. And now I try <laughs> to keep it uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, so the breaking news now at 914 is that your first round leader for the Open is going to be none other than, and this is a guy I don't ever take, but do I have faith in him that he is going to be able to go through 18 holes on day one without withdrawing? I do. His name is Jason Day, and he's 65 to 1. Give me all that money. Let's book a trip to London. It's go time. Lock it in. I mean, that's clearly. I can't really even envision another outcome. That's a. That's a. That's a lock. Hundred um, percent. And I love it because you know Jason Day is one of those guys that like comes out hot. He's always you know playing well early. And you're like, oh, Jason Day should have played him this week, mm-hmm. and then he stinks by the end of the tournament, which is fine because we don't need him to be good after day one. So let's make all the money on the first round leader. I love it. Uh, you're welcome, America. I forgot to say that. And you're welcome to to all the the British fans that are watching. Sorry we butchered. <laughs> sorry we butchered all the names. The British Open, the Open, the Open Championship. Like, are we serious? Like, make a decision, man. That's not on our fault. They keep changing it. Make up your. That's mind. what I'm saying. Like, what is it? Yeah. What are we doing here, guys? Come on. Pick one and stick to it. All right. That's Thank it. You. And plus, it's it's also too similar to the other champion. The Open. It's confusing. Right, it's the British Open. All right, we know know like about. Yeah, I'm not even sure what sport it is at this point. It's like, come on, guys, <laughs> get your stuff together. Um, Joel, do you have any first round leaders? Oh, I got, I got a couple for you. So, as we all know, the theme is with first round leaders. There's no fun picking guys that are at the top because it's so volatile. The first round, we want the long shot. So, my Lame. first one, my one of my favorite plays, like one of my favorite new golfers that I'm coming around to. Guido Migliozzi, all right? Yes. He's going to one. He's going to yes. come out hot. He's going to have the lead. At 110, sign me up all day. I love that. Lock that in. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that in. Just Let's in case. Go. Just in case Jason Day withdraws or has a back injury mid-round, Guido. Let's go. And Guido's coming right up behind him, and he's taking the trophy, which is, you know, great pick. Uh, another one I think is interesting, someone you mentioned already, is Stuart Sink, another 100 to 1. Mm. Um like like you said, see he's playing great this season, uh, and and it's not it hasn't just been one tournament that he popped. I mean he has been playing really well. I think a hundred to one for him as a first round is just a really really good number. Uh, 
And the last first round leader for me that I that I'll leave everybody with is Sergio Garcia at sixty five to one. As we know yeah. with Sergio, he'll come out in a week and like he'll on day one he'll make a few putts and be like, I knew this was the week to play Sergio. He's making putts this week, and then he'll go on to miss every putt for the rest of the week and finish his tied for twenty fifth or something like that. But he can come out. I've seen him do a couple first rounds where he's making putts and with his ball striking, I think that he's someone that can definitely uh, pop early. I love it. I love the Sergio call, especially for for a single day. I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm going to add him to my my first round leaders for sure, and maybe six. We have a couple questions that that I think are are kind of important before we go. So first of all, from Bobby, who hit the like button before anybody else did? So for those of you that have already forgotten to hit the like button or haven't yet, please go to YouTube and hit that like button. Um, and by the way, if you're on Twitter, you know I don't know how people use their Twitter page. If you don't want to retweet stuff, that's totally cool. But when this show is on, if you want your friends to watch. Retweet it. If you're even on Twitter, some of you aren't on Twitter. And if you're not on Twitter and you're watching this show, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because there's a lot of really valuable information on Twitter outside of the Wind Daily spectrum um, that are, it's just really helpful for golf, for NFL, for all of those things. So get on Twitter, get a handle um, and, and find Wind Daily Sports on Twitter. Find me and Joel and uh, you can watch a lot of our content there as well. But uh, so, so Bobby, the answer to this is always going to be go for the top five, go for the top 10, go for the top 20. We pick outrights almost, for, it's almost like sport fishing. Like we're not trying to necessarily like convince everybody like this is the definite, like obvious play. It's more like this is a guy we really like and we definitely think he has the potential to win. But because of the variance of golf, even if this guy is really good, one bad bounce, especially out here at the open, could really, you know, derail you and all of a sudden a first place finish is like a, a sixth place finish. So I would look for your top tens. Your I, I like the top 20 and top 40 market. If you can find, you know, average golfers or, or the perception of average golfers in the top 40 market, you're still probably getting a plus number. And so when you hear us talk in DFS about a guy that's like 7,300, like a Harris English, if you can get a good number for him in the top 40 or Daniel Berger in the top 40 market, you're doing yourself a favor. Don't go for the big wins necessarily. Go for the ones that like seem like they're extremely realistic, notwithstanding a bad bounce here or a bad putt there. Um, but ahead, add, it's also a lot of thought process, right? Like when we're doing outrights, we're just looking at strictly upside. These guys that can maybe miss the cut or win the tournament. So, you know, a lot of times we're looking at value. Like maybe we think a guy is better than the number they gave. So that's why we like it. We don't necessarily think he's the favorite to win the tournament. We just think that, you know, we're getting a better number than I think we, that, that guy deserves or something like that. Whereas, you know, the better way to bet, just being honest with you, is going, in my opinion, I prefer to go in deeper, top 30, top 40. Because now you're just saying these are guys that should be a good course fit. They should be playing this well this week. And they don't have to win the tournament. Something They can have a bad shot. Something volatile can happen. But they're still going to compete for the week. And that's a smarter bet. That's where you can put more of a real unit on it. Whereas with the winners and, and things like this, it's small bets typically where, uh, you know, we know it's not likely to hit, but we can maybe find some value. Like see, I think Sia phrased it really well. And, and I'll tell you where most golf bettors make their money, and this includes me, is in the head-to-head -head market. The only reason that I personally don't put out head-to-head -head bets is because Everybody uses different sites. If everybody was on DraftKings and we had a unit like universality with with who the head-to-head -head matchups were, that's great. But I can tell you that I look at like three or four different sites, and they're all different. They are all different with it, with respect to how much head-to-head -head they offer and what the actual head-to-head -head matchups are. So I would, Bobby, I would definitely like if you're interested in in betting, you know, be careful because you should. It's you know any sport, it's it's going to be tough. But I will say it's most lucrative in golf to find the head-to-head -head matchups that you like. Maybe top 40 is equally as lucrative. That's not where I go, but the head-to-head -head market is very, 
look I'll add to that with the head-to-head for me, too, personally. I don't even just look for it. And, and this is something that a lot of people make the mistake of. I don't just look for the guys I like. I actually more so look for the guys I don't like. Yeah. Like, I think a guy, I don't like him at this fit. I don't think it's a course fit. I want to go against him. And I say, this guy should be able to be okay here, but I don't like this guy's fit at all. And I just want to, I think he's just going to lose and not do well. So you can think of it that way. Like, don't just take guys you like. Look for guys that aren't going to do well and you can kind of match up against them. And for the record, that's what Spencer does with uh, the Better Golf Pod. When, when, you know, again, everybody should be subscribed to that already. Spencer will, when he does his model, he sees like where the where the value is, but also the opposite, like where where people are being overvalued. And he'll at the beginning of his podcast, or when him and Nick sort of get into it, he'll be like, "These are the guys I'm targeting as you know people I'm going to be betting against." And hopefully, the person that's going against him is a guy that you know he kind at least kind of likes in his model. But Joel, that's actually a really good way to say it. You know, look for the guys, whether it's top forty or whatever. Look for the guys, and, and this goes for DFS that like we say aren't a good course fit or through your research there aren't a good course fit and they just like put them aside and if you can bet against them that's great but you certainly don't want to play them in dfs either here's probably an even more important question uh from logan it says uh for those of you that are listening on the podcast and not watching this um see you for single entry and three max how do you approach ownership and lineup construction do you have a total ownership you try to stay below so joel i'm going to give an answer and then you can feel free to give your your own um, interpretation of how you want to answer this question. So I don't know how to answer this any more succinctly than to say the following. The answer is no. I am, I, and, and, and here's the reason. I am really tired of people who play single entry and three max, and I'm guilty of it too, by the way. So it's not, I'm not like talking about you, Logan. It's It's like everybody does this. We get so fixated in a single entry contest, which is the virtual equivalent of like a cash game for the most part, where they're going to pivot off a guy they really like because that guy's 25% owned. If you want to play Jordan Spieth in a single entry and there's 1,100 people in it or 2,222, like the 200 SE, that's one of the 200 SE options for this week, play the guys you like. Now, now two, over 2,000 is a little bit more than most of the single entry tournaments. So maybe that's a bad example, but most of them are in that like a thousand range, 555, you know, whatever. Some are more, some, it depends. Some are, some single entries go super high to like 10,000, whatever it is. But like the point is, it's very unlikely that your lineup is going to be a duplicate in a single entry. And even if it is, what you're, what you end up doing is, is taking guys that you think are like kind of like the cute, you know, unnoticed guy that just really aren't quite as good. And it screws up your lineup. And you're like, well, why did I do that? And then if you go back and you do some digging and, and you just play most of the chalky guys, you'll be like, oh, you know, more often than not, you'll be like, oh, that lineup would have done way better. And so it's not really like a tragedy that you might have. I understand the, the concept, and especially in 150 max and stuff like that. You're playing with so many people. You have to be different because if you play all the chalk, like you really are going to be like in, in a world where you have four or five guys that like, are, are scoring, but like there's thousands of other people that are enjoying the benefit of that scoring. But in single entry, I just don't think it happens as much. So my advice is if, if that's what you're playing, I, my recommendation is don't play all chalk necessarily, six out of six, but like just kind of don't worry about it. You know, you can look at the numbers later when Steven's article comes out or whatever you look at, but like it's not in single entry. It's just not that big of a deal. So I just don't even want you to focus on it. I, so, I definitely agree for single entry. I typically am more focused on GPPs. Um, you know, for single entry, I totally don't overthink that. Just play the guys you like. 
for GPPs, I have a I have a rule. I try to keep my lineups under 60%. I think the number I'm aiming for is 10% per player. So if I do cram in a 20%er, that means I want to get even more lower ownership on the other guys just to average it out. So I shoot for 60% as a number. It's not something that's super hard and fast. Just I don't want to get lineups with like multiple guys over 20%. That can get tricky for a GPP. Yeah, and Steven has a formula, and I'm pretty sure his he's looking for like 12 to 15% per player in that 12-ish range. So obviously that you, you do the math on that, it's not going to be anywhere close to 100%. So like it, it makes sense. So if you're if you're talking about a, a huge like three max, yes, if it's a huge three max or a huge single entry where there happens to be like 15,000 entries in it. Okay, yeah, you can consider ownership to some degree. And so have four chalky guys and then two like under 5% guys. But for the most part, you just don't need to worry about it in single entry. Oh. Well, is that might be a wrap for this show and this week, guys. So what I want to leave you with is uh, this is the last major for a long time. This mm-hmm. is the last time where like golf is going to matter a lot and it's going to be fun. So don't regret not playing this week. Get your lineups out there. Win some money together. We're going to have a whole bunch of tweets and messages and screen grabs come Monday with all the money we won. And it's going to be a celebration on the next show to go when we come back to the States to handicap whatever next JV tournament that probably comes up. But for this week, this is the week. And it's like, I, I almost want to give the, uh, the miracle halftime speech. It's like one out of 10 tournaments. We might not win, but not tonight. Not <laughs> this week. We take down the GPP. Uh, see, what are your last thoughts for this week? You just you just made me think of the movie Independence Day uh, with Will Smith. That speech that he gives, like before they like go in to attack the aliens. Everybody, go back and watch that speech. Super underrated. Um, no, I agree. I, I I don't know how quote confident I am this week because there's there's so many guys that you need to just either fade or take. I I do like the pool that, of, of players I have. And I like the fact that I'm not paying quite as much attention to the strokes gain metrics this particular week. I think going kind of, I mean, I I do want to pay attention to certain things like we talked about the front end of the show, but I just like the idea of kind of going for feel, kind of going for guys that have some experience and guys that we've been leaning on for quite some time and just kind of just roll with it and see what happens. And one last reminder, do not forget we're starting at like midnight. So get Mm -hmm. your lineups in. Don't forget to fill them in. Uh, starting at midnight tomorrow night, so it's, it's a bit early. We'll be in Discord. We'll be answering questions. We'll update the weather. We'll have a secret weapon. Uh, we'll have the ownership article come out. So there's a, a lot to happen in one day. Stay with us. Good luck this week, and uh, let's win some money. Uh, that's uh, one last thing. He he thinks your speech was reminiscent of phil jackson the guru himself so you know phil jackson was a basketball coach joel and basketball is a what what is basketball well basketball is a sport basketball is a sport basketball is a sports